Hello everyone, I am Stephen Drew from the Architecture Social and I and it's Friday night. It's Friday night and I've got company with with someone that's become someone from the architectural industry where I've over the years I've got to know on a level that we speak on the phone, we can have long chats like old friends and talk about the ways of the world, talk about the BIM industry and talk about the architecture industry. I am lucky to be joined by my old compadre, Pierre Venter. Uh, Pierre, how are you today? Stephen, I'm great. Uh, can't complain. No, I am. I'm going to do the English thing. <laughs> complain away. Complain away. Coronavirus world. Oh, oh I, gotta say, I woke up this morning. It was four degrees outside here. I'm in Kingston. And I was really mad. You know, you Why can see you the mad? jerseys on and everything. Yes. You know, coming coming from Africa, it's it's cold in England. I'm not talking about the people <laughs> and the compassion. I'm just talking about the weather. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. And um, of course, we're not gonna we know we're not gonna go into the intricacies of what's happened on, but it's important as human beings to acknowledge that now is quite a stressful time. You're inadvertently in this awful situation. We're all in it in architecture, we're all in the in the midst of coronavirus. And I'm not particularly interested in having a debate on Boris Johnson's ludicrous uh tier free system oops sorry did i say too much did i say not enough but uh, but what we talk about it is completely stressful so we have all that going on but in terms of context i think it's really important that um why i'm laughing and why i'm comfortable is because we've inadvertently known each other for many years we kind of like go in and out of conversations naturally because of where we are in time but we met many moons many moons ago just when i was after being a part two architect system i trained up in dim a little bit in the in the architectural practice i used it a little bit but this was 2014 this is where it was when revit was the the then the thing that people needed to conquer this was the on the agenda of any architectural practice in the uk in 2013 2014 they kind of knew they had to get revit on board and they were going about it and so at the time I left uh, being a part of architectural assistant and I joined Bespoke Careers, which is a good recruitment company. It is a good recruitment company. And at the time they sponsored an event called BIMnet and me and you met and we had many good conversations. And that's where uh, I know of yourself because we were there in person not in this digital world online. We were physically in Clark and Well. We were talking about BIM, and that's where we met. So maybe if you rewind here for everyone here, so maybe give a bit of your backstory in terms of architecture, then going into BIM, and then how about you came, how how our paths crossed in London 2014. That would be amazing intro. Yeah. So, Stephen, uh, an interesting one. I mean, I spent most of my life up until 2013 uh, in South Africa and Durban on the East okay. Coast. Uh, played water polo for 17 years. Uh, really enjoyed surfing, diving, swimming, sailing, <laughs> all water sports. And then to put it in context, I arrive in the UK and I've never been in the Thames River, which is just down the road. <laughs> Me neither. 
I've never gone for a swim. It's too bloody cold. I can't take it. <laughs> <laughs> no good coming here. But, uh, yeah, so I studied architecture at the University of Natal at the time. It's now University of KwaZulu-Natal, part of the changes that have taken place in the in South Africa and the, and the provinces, et cetera. Um, graduated in 1990 and uh, entered into the, the fray. And one of the problems that we encountered was uh, within my two years of registration, um, ended up with the firm closing down. We went into the first wow. sort of economic recession in South Africa. And uh, what do you do? You're a young mm-hmm. Young graduate, you've just qualified. You've got this ability to put architect behind your name and say, I am an architect, but you've got nowhere to work. Now, there's some parallels to where we are now. Oh, you tell you what, you couldn't get away with that in the UK, isn't it? I remember when I was in architectural practice and I was an architectural assistant and you can't say you're an architect. So so tell me, that's really interesting. I've got a friend who's... um, so who's actually the bid manager Adams and Associates, uh, David Rose, and he's South African as well. But tell me, what kind of, um, in terms of, my, maybe it goes slightly personal in this sense, but in terms of when did you when did you come to the UK and what made you decide that you wanted to kind of come to our terms of the weird and wonderful world of London? What, what brought you to that decision? I was practicing on my own at that stage, small right. micro practice, doing consultation, teaching Revit, uh, providing architectural services to one of the the big uh, Autodesk resellers in South Africa. And a friend of mine here in the UK said he had a job, (laughs) spoke to an architect from from an interior design practice who were doing some work and said, well, I've got a friend in South Africa. Quickly to tell you was that there were three interviews on Skype because, you know, now we're going back in time where we still had Skype Mm. and and that kind of thing. (laughs) And... uh, the guy said, you've got the job. Wow. So it took nine days. I basically sold the house, packed up the business. Wow. That quick you sold the plane, house? Jumped wow. on the I've wow. never, I promise you, I've never been so knackered in my life. I work 20 plus hours a day. You think as a student, you work hard? I promise you, this was the hardest that I'd worked. Well, I know I, you work hard. Yeah. I, so I've never um, sleep on the plane, which I normally don't do. Mm. And they actually had to come and check that I was still alive. They put a mirror <laughs> over my mouth. <laughs> anyway, I arrived two days later, started work in the city. And uh, that was basically to come for two particular projects. And, and just the, the challenge was really good. And they wanted to implement Revit. And that was where my, my key focus was, is around BIM implementation and this new tool, Revit. <laughs> Well, you've always been passionate about it. And and, and and the thing is, even with me, so in terms of the role of, at the time, in terms of architectural BIM, I was hosting an event and I was lucky that I actually worked in the industry and I worked on Revit. And what I, I really enjoyed and the impression that I always retain in terms of yourself is that you're very, very giving in terms of I, a believer of sharing information because it's like everything else in life. You have some people, which, of course, we all work really hard and, you know, in BIM, I think a lot of it is about collaboration. Yes, you can 
script something and keep it for yourself and hold that up. But actually, in terms of the BIM community, in terms of many communities, it's about giving back and contributing. And the point is, that's where I met you physically in an event, openly talking about BIM, the ins and outs. And if you remember the time, my friend, Chris Rosetto, who's a kind of a BIM manager. I love Chris. Chris, if you're listening, shout out to you. You are an absolute gentleman and completely awesome at what you do. But that's the point where I had used Revit for a little while. Chris Rosetta was amazing at what he does. And, we, and I remember he was engrossed into a conversation with you as well. And that was back in 2014. So what, what, what was the year you moved to London? Was it around that time that we met? Yeah. I'd, wow. I'd, I'd right. come in March 2013, so it was it was just prior to that, and there had been some movements in in, in uh, where I was living in London. I mean, I've really been benefited by coming into London and being, I'll say, this side of the city, mm. close to the river. Get on my bicycle, head off out to Thames Ditton, and out down to Surrey Hills. I cycle. I'm, I'm keen on on doing a bit of cycling. Great. And uh, yeah, so it was at that time, it, it, it was that dynamic. I mean, the one thing about Revit, BIM, all these things is that the changes that we're experiencing now are just phenomenal. Mm. The technologies, um, quick one is that I've just, I've just taken a project I did in 2005, which was a proposal, and I'm going to publish it on my, my LinkedIn just for people to see, but it's something I think is important. Go back and have a look at a project that you did before. And to put that in context, to do a single rendering of really low resolution was 30 hours of work on a single image. Right. I've got a little bit of extra horsepower sitting in front of me right now. It's a little P53. Just rub the... But you now, do, you now do a 4K or an 8K resolution mm. render in under two minutes and it's absolutely stunning so this this the, the kind of dynamic that we're in is that this amazing capability but the review process is so important because what you thought was great actually was a pile of junk mm. but because you've now got these additional tools you can actually start seeing where to go we're getting information and also information overload it's interesting. So to put it into context, because I, I love this topic, and let's go through that, because in terms of listeners who are listening to this, Pierre, we're going to get people that have used Revit for uh, a long period of time, as well as people that are using it now, or, or maybe, for instance, students which are literally just learning Revit, they're entering it, and it's the status quo. But to kind of put it in comparison, so... Um, in terms of the UK, and this is my opinion, and let's see what you think as well. So AutoCAD and MicroStation was prevalent up until I reckon 2012. It was really big in 2000, but up until 2012, it was a really, really big thing. And then 2012, we started having the pressure in the UK business environment to start going to Revit. That doesn't mean doesn't mean that companies did it straight away. It was a slow transition, which in some cases is even happening today. And you can go into the debate about every company is still transitioning because it's to what level of BIM you use. But without any jargon or anything like that, um, you you what was the first year you used Revit? 2003, I bought my first package. 
Right. So this is where we're going with this. So in 2003, it was the first time you used Revit and it was being introduced in the UK. So that's where I, you know, that's where I live and that's where you know. And I think it's fairly accurate to say 2013 is when people were saying, right, we need to deal with this. 2015 is where, and 2015 is when people started panicking. But you know what I'm on about. It was not used in the UK at all. So this opportunity that your friend talked about came about in that recent period of time. So for anyone that's been using Revit now compared to before, can you give us a little bit of a flavor of how it's changed over the years and what maybe what it was like to first use Revit? Well, to put this this in context as well, is that I detest AutoCAD, right? So anybody <laughs> out there, I'm, I'm, I'm an Autodesk user, use the whole suite, but I really dislike AutoCAD. And the reason behind that was I actually originally purchased a package called Genesis. And Genesis was one of the first parametric applications that I ever tried. At the same time, I'd just done a course on Drawbase, I was using an old mini mainframe system called R-Plan. Right. When when we first started a couple of years prior to that at Varsity, to start up the PC took 15 minutes. It was an XT. It was this size, five floppies. I mean, now we come along and we've got more power in this little device. Your mobile. People understand. Yeah. Um, So from that really slow 2D, lots and lots of redlining, and starting to make the move. That was a Revit version 5.0. And uh, I looked at it and said, I'm swapping because I could see immediately this ability to see things three dimensions, but also to be able to produce the 2D things that other people needed to see. That Just that switch was, for me, mind-blowing, mind-blowing. <laughs> We've encountered lots of resistance because this is a change. And a common term you hear is, but we don't do it that way. And a parallel to this exactly is, what is the imperial measurement? I only work in metric <laughs> until I deal with people from the, from the, re- reta- uh, the rental and, and retail, and they want everything in square feet so they can market it. And that, that's the sort of quandary where we've been in our, in our industry is that we've got, on one side, America's still working with buddy feet and inches. Mind-blowing that somebody actually does that. It's true. I, I, my, my brain always thinks of metric. I struggle with that as well, Pierre. Uh, I, I find that completely fascinating. And what I would say is that when I was a part two architectural assistant, I remember being in an architectural office. And so EPR Architects is an amazing company if anyone's listening there. Really, really good. And they actually were ahead of the curve. And and now when I say ahead of the curve, the UK was still far behind in terms of Revit. Okay, so they were what, an early adopter. But what you know as well, Pierre, is that being an early adopter in terms of the UK didn't necessarily mean that you were an early uh, adopter of BIM in terms of the world. And so just to give it a bit of context during 2014, 
So you're, you know, you had people like yourself, you had Chris Roseos, Australian, South African, my friend, uh, David Rose, he's South African as well. You have yourself, you have many other people. And what was bizarre was that there was this kind of Australian Bimrush, uh, or as I nickname it now, I never thought of it like before, but it was like that where actually some amazing, talented architects who were just very good at BIM came to the UK and they became BIM managers because during this period of time, no one knew what, what was going on and you had this mad scenario where sometimes you could have a part two architectural assistant somewhere could become very very successful as a BIM manager which would never normally happen in any other environment but actually during this world they proved they were they were very very good and what I'm saying is it was this crazy opportunity within this space to exceed or become pivotal roles where you wouldn't um, else before. But another thing that's probably important, and this is my opinion in terms of BIM, well, there's so many success stories where I'm on about. There's so many different stories with BIM where you have a lot of people that have good BIM consultancies. I know the stuff that you do is really, really well. And you also have some people that are in for it for a quick buck. And what I'm on about is that people that, like yourself, haven't unlike yourself haven't let me rephrase that worked on it since 1994 unlike yourself do not understand the BIM process you understand the BIM theory you've been there and you've had really nice chats with me about because BIM uh, is a methodology that's my understanding Revit's a tool and the point is you need to understand the brief the agenda what you're doing it's not just about how you will the software and I think that from my outside of view is that there was a period where in quote unquote, I call it the BIM bubble, bubble where certain people could do very well for a certain short period of time. But actually when the, the acid test came to it, when they were down to the line and when they had to steer a project, it was incredibly difficult. But as you know, as well from, in my opinion, you're someone I respect in terms of BIM. You're someone that I, um, I've, we've talked over the years. It's, um, the UK's definition of BIM, where it's at, has completely, completely changed. So you came in 2013, 2014. Um, how was it like then? Maybe you start there. Maybe we can talk about how it's like now, how things have changed. Right. So I think that fundamentally one of our, our biggest problems is that we thought that software was the solution. Right. And recently I did a talk for a, a, a organization called Exceptional BIM in South Africa, and, and they're a, a training and development group. But what it is is that for me as an architect, fundamentally, that's probably the most important part of BIM is, in fact, the pen. Right. Because I'm still somebody who, and I, I did show you this a little bit earlier, but it was pieces of paper, which is not very eco-sensitive and all the rest of it. But it gives me a great sense of, of relationship. But one of the key things is that if we don't have the fundamental knowledge right, we're not going to do well in BIM. The other right. part is that BIM is about people, firstly. And when you put a team together, you get the best results. And the analogy is a rugby team. You have the big guy who's the prop, because not everybody mm. can be big in, in the front as the prop. That yeah, was my that was my role when I was in work here. Yeah, I wasn't good good for much, but the the the, <laughs> the prop. <laughs> yeah, no, I was a centre and a wing, so I was the sprinter out in the outside. But yeah, uh, 
having a team taking these technology enablers, and that's the part that BIM is about. And when we started, I'll be the first to admit that I used Revit as a drafting tool. Right. Because basically that deliverable of putting out a drawing was the only result. Not using, and the tools just didn't have it. I told you about the 30 hours to render something. We didn't have the same capacity that the hardware now gives us. I do think that part of the enabling, those young people, and I've, I've worked with a couple of people that during my time in the UK, and the younger people coming out who could grasp the technology became, in a way, the technology enabler in a practice. Great, yeah. The old guys like me, Gray and what have you, who had a resistance to the change, saw the person as providing that skill, mm. which got things out the door. And, and that's it. We need to get production. But the whole part about the early start of BIM was how to get a series of, of documents out that would put your design forward. Because that's ultimately what architecture is about, is creating those spaces. So it's a, it's, a, it's a funny boat. It's almost like surfing. If you put too much weight on the front foot, you go tearing down the wave. It's almost like uh, I did snowboarding at the, at the what's it, the snow dome in um, Milton Keynes. Fell off, I don't know, can't tell you how many times, and I thought I was a good surfer. So <laughs> anyway, so the, the BIM process ultimately – that is something that, as we've moved currently, I'm really happy to be this side of the pond, not back in, in South Africa right now, because of the way that the, the UK and the people involved in the UK BIM Alliance, Centre for Digital Built Britain, etc., all those people are contributing to a leading place in the world. You know, if we weren't there we wouldn't have the ISO standard being pushed like it is now. So it's a great part to be because of the enabling that we're getting with putting things together. I think that's a really good kind of introduction to it. And and that's the kind of bit that um, what I didn't learn so much is, so when I was a part two, when it was 2013, 2014, I was quite keen to learn Revit because I felt like it was the way to go. And I assimilated my assumption of Revit based upon what I thought it was. I could kind of see from being a video gamer, like, so, uh, like a, a bit of a geek, that is the way to go. And th the concepts that you talk about now in terms of teams, collaboration and people, it kind of felt like the norm because I was someone that would play World of Warcraft online and, and to, to, to kill the boss, you needed 60 people or talking to each other you needed the mages you needed this you needed that and you needed the priest to heal you and therefore if you didn't do it you couldn't do the task right. and so these concepts i realized now are subliminally was in me that i'm like well yeah of course revit makes much more sense but i think that it's taken practices a lot of time to realize that but also partly not due to their own fault as in um and now I'm sure you can go to many examples where you'd say, look, any project is better off in BIM. And I would agree with you. At the start, though, there was definitely what I saw is so when I moved away from working in architecture, so EPO was always trying to push towards BIM. They were always trying to do it the right way. And, you know, it's probably like the first bit, few BIM models you're going to get in the office. It's like, let's be realistic. It's like everything else. It's going to be mistakes that people learn on those projects, which are going to inform how to do a better BIM model. 
and maybe they're not quite BIM level one, BIM level two, they're like BIM level 0.5, but you needed to do them to get where you wanted to go. And there's no shame in that. I always find it mad how people can be worried about it, but you get what I mean, Pierre, it's where you have to learn, you have to use BIM, and half of the things is like, you tell me this now, but what I think is that so maybe you make certain mistakes in certain BIM models, which make it clunky, make it difficult, and then in the next one you go, do not do this scenario because that is a world of pain and we're not going to do it again. Now, it's an interesting one because that, that project that I took and, and reviewed, it's the one area that I find in a large number of practices and people that I talk to is we, we just don't make that tangible stop and review what we've just done. And if we did that mm. a couple of times during the project, and at the end of the project, it would have informed us along the way, and we would constantly improve the cycle. But we're normally in such a rush to get things done. We don't perform that action. And the review really starts to say, if you start building the team, and that's the thing about a team, is you don't just turn the light on and everybody's in a team. And the teams that we're talking about right now is not just in an architect's practice. It's engagement from the client right the way through to the contractor to the handover and then ultimately the end user in use person that, that's, that's that whole team and it's a very it's a different approach eh? i think that we're starting to see the changes that that's bringing let's build upon that because you're onto something which i find is really interesting because i think when people associate bim and revit they associate they can maybe right associate it with in terms of how well you know the program how long you know you know all the shortcuts how how much you know all that and yes that's really important but in terms of what you just talked about there for anyone you talked about project management you talked about reviews you're talking about delivering a project alongside bim and in terms of bim is an amazing tool but what i quite like there which you're fleshing out is that actually bim is not just uh, or in terms of this context in terms of building a project there's an awful lot of project management that is involved in it. it's an awful lot of people management it's an awful lot of several users several companies using a bim model and that's the bit that's the strategic bit that you talked about which i think can sometimes easily go amiss because it's one thing to know the software but from an outsider point of view because i've not used it for many years what it seems like to me half of what a successful architectural practice is is that they learn from examples of what did and didn't work and they go okay for this project we need these people we're going to do these reviews which you're talking about and we're going to deliver it in bim we're going to use this software and we're going to have a bim manager we're going to have a bim coordinator to help them and therefore it's set up have you found that over the years that what's it like now then pierre in terms of um, projects is it still very much that um some projects unfortunately they do not get planned correctly at the start and inherit problems going on? Or do you think that people are slowly getting there or is it a combination of both? I think one of our first problems that we've made for ourselves as an industry is that we get a team together, architects, engineers, client, contractor. We do a great project with all the little niggles and the warts in between, mm. come up with something that's finished, disassemble the team, and reassemble a totally new team on another project instead of taking that team and transplanting it and doing the next project. Now, I'm not saying that that isn't part of the dynamic, but we do it all the time. 
And those companies that are engaged now with contractors, large tier ones, et cetera, that have followed through with the same team are starting to experience the kind of benefits that by having the same people with a, a, a comfortable relationship in the team, doesn't mean that there's not going to be tensions and all the rest of that, but that they engage, they get the benefit because now everybody is conscious about somebody else because part mm. of this, this team thing is all about mutual respect as well. You know, and we agree to disagree. As long as you don't disagree with me, it's fine. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Come on. You, I know you're super approachable and you, and you care about the company. But I do think, I think that the, the real part about the way that we do anything is actually establishing, and that's exactly what happens in the ISO standard and the BS 1192, but now the ISO standard, is we formalize all the fundamental pieces. And there's a couple of tools out there that are starting to really enable us even further. And we're not talking about trade names and all the rest of it, but there are some of these that I got engaged. I had a, a two-year period where I was doing some time in Saudi Arabia, an absolutely brilliant experience. But there was an application that came out called LOD Planner, which is now gone and it's changed its name. But at the time, that was absolutely brilliant. It started looking at planning. Right. And project management. Now, personally, I don't like project managers, okay? So, but that's because I'm an architect. And I, originally, as an architect, I did all those things myself. But I do, mm. I do understand there's definitely a place where project management is critical. However, with all of these things that BIM brings to us, what's the one problem that we do? Typically, unrealistic expectations, because people right. don't know how long it takes to put out a drawing. Right. And, and it's not finite. Design takes time. But there's a couple of things that other industries have a much better set of benchmarks. And in practices, we need to do the same thing, in my opinion. I hear you. So let's talk a little bit about what you've done with BIM initiatives. So I, you of course work with some many, many, many good companies as well as in terms of BIM initiative, you've done some really interesting stuff and, and, and let's bring it to now because you touched briefly upon the, the, what's quite interesting is that now hardware has propelled. So, or desk have been following the gaming industry and we have for instance what you're talking about in terms of bim okay so we're not going to go into um video game engines we're not going to go into that but where i find it really interesting is that i wrote a dissertation many years ago in terms of interactive virtual environments and what i've noticed about in terms of bim is that it's gone so far in terms of where you're on about we're not talking about photorealism here but not what we're talking about is high quality very good looking images which are um, produced on a very short and rapid period of time and that's what i i appreciated what you're saying is that what i'm amazed by right now is for lumion and a few other things but look you're you're the guru in this way of actually that it's not so convoluted anymore that you can actually set up an architectural in your architectural company you can produce images which you can get back quickly. So in terms of, we notice like in an architectural practice, yes, you're going to spend ages on your hero images and they can be rendered by that company. You know, the one that's famous and paid a lot of money because fine, because the developer is going to use that and it's going to be amazing. But what you're on about is 
incredibly good company uh good so say now this hero shot is 100 percent awesome but it costs a few thousand pounds what you're on about is something that gets you 70 percent of the way looks very good looks very very good and that draw that image is produced in two minutes because it's generated by the kind of technology which is used in 3d video game engines right because there's an element of quick feedback so surely and sorry i mean i'm divulging in what i was passionate before but how cool is that because you mentioned in terms of a design meet and this this kind of feel and quality of image would take normally hours to produce Mm -hmm. and you can whack it out on the fly and surely then that has a massive uh implication on you as a designer, you can change things quickly. You can see what they look like. But in terms of a design team meeting, the images that you showcased and we posted, remember we posted it in the architecture social, yeah. you, of course, you spent a bit of time in there. Of course, you set things up. You could whack them out on a fly for me again, though, in two, three minutes because you've worked out the process. So what are you, what's your thoughts currently on that then? That's, that's okay. a game changer, right? So there's a philosophy behind this. One of the things about producing visuals is actually not that they're just pretty pictures, but for me, they're actually a quality control. So when I see the material, if I saw a bitumen asphalt wall, I know that somebody's put the wrong material in that position. I'm using a really extreme example. But what the visualization does for us, and I, I use this frequently, I'm a keen user of Enscape. And the idea right. behind that is that in Enscape, I can generate a panoramic view. Might mm. take three minutes to generate it. But basically, it's you put it on the phone, yeah. and you take the phone and you walk around like this, and you can look at where you are in the building. Right. So I can send that to a client and say, I want your opinion. Do you like the wood or the metal? Would you like the ceiling like this? Or would... So we're talking about some modeling and what have you going in. But what it does is it gives a client or somebody the ability to visualize what they're doing without five sets of drawings on a device that you can handle. Mm. And I've had people actually walking around their office saying to people in the office, they were doing a development. They said, what do you think about this? And that opinion came back and immediately changed, made a decision that eased the workflow. Right. So that's, got it. that's the one side. The other side is that probably, and I think you'd probably recognize one of these things. I reckon that, all right, so it's just for the audio listeners here, you pointed up the HTC Vive, a little bit of virtual. No, no. Or, what was that? Oculus Quest. Oculus Quest. VR not though, the, not the two. I can't afford that one right now. But... <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. But exactly that. That device means you clip it on. It it has the ability to be tethered or untethered. Yeah, can come through on the wire, wireless. And the nice part is, you and I can go into the design without having to travel around. So the time that we save by not having to commute can now be converted into having a, a session. Mm. Now, something that you know from the gaming side is that these things are so bloody immersive. It just means that you you get yeah. inside this thing and it's gone. Yeah, and- it's a, you're, you're right. You get a, such a feel for the space, and that could be, and sure, in, on where you're going with, in terms of the design team, you could probably snag something straight away, like this is not right. 
So you're snagging. So oh. the, the, the kind of great thing is I'm in a I'm busy learning how to use this particular application, and I bought and I, I bought a subscription for a package called Iris VR, which is one of those in the market right now. But what's really nice is that these things get loaded into the cloud. So right. I was busy practicing, and I was on in the building on the fourth floor, and I clicked on the layers and turned the floors off. And I promise you, I've never had vertigo before. <laughs> and, I looked down and I saw floors and, and furniture and things four floors down and I almost found myself going whoa 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 <laughs> yeah whoa stop with something falling that's it. it it is that immersive plus the fact that you can change the time of day you can then you're gleaning all this extra information and that part is incredibly powerful so final part to this is that if we do the usual thing, every mm. two weeks we print a pack of paper, you go and have a, a, a meeting, you redline all these things, people take that away, update, have a week review, redo work that they've already done, which they've had to now unwind. You can imagine doing this where you have a meeting session, just 30 minutes with a team, mm. and it makes it following the lean and sprint method is that you're getting this feedback cycle so much quicker Yes, by going through and embracing people in this technology. Yeah. And it is, it, it really is an enabler. That's, that's where I find really interesting because there's other practical applications in terms of like a really nice shiny walkthrough in terms of uh, a two million pound flat. If someone is a buyer in Dubai and you sell a flat in London, you can do that remotely. But what I love in terms of your scenario, which I think people maybe forget, or uh, I didn't think of it at first, I didn't think of it at first, was that you're on about the practical application in terms of the architectural process day by day. And what you're talking about is the, the way the conversation goes, that the same that me and you were in the room with design team meeting and you say here's what i think of the plan this is what i've done then actually by putting the oculus rift or putting the vr headset on then it's another tool and that's what we're on about we're on about it's a tool for you to design that informs information informs your decision you're still making the decision in the physical sense but what i quite like about what you're talking about is that and if I put this headset on, I can go, well, look, Pierre, I was literally just in the space. I was literally there in, in the headphones and I didn't like the way when I went into the space, maybe I think that the the stairs, it was a bit too close. Or it could be that I was like, look, some pillars there or I walked around a room and there were certain design decisions I would change. And you can go, Steve. Look, don't worry about it. We're not on site. We're at early, early stages. I'm going to flip around it in the model. And I go, okay, cool. I get a coffee and we talk to another thing. And then throughout that design team meeting, you go, Steve, just let you know. You, you complained about the stairs because I know you're very difficult to work with. No, you wouldn't say that because you're professional. You go, Steve, you're a very valuable client of mine. And what I've done is I've changed the staircase. What about in this position? I put on the headset and I go, that's great. And so what you're talking about is that that you've boiled it down from two design meetings to one because now the space of the technology, the sorry, that is caught up 
in that meantime. And so, and that's what I find really interesting because I wrote that, um, the thesis when I was in architecture in 2014 and Lumion, I think at the time, I believe was out, but it was very uh, early. And um, Twin Notion was there and it was better, but less accessible than Lumion. And that's what I wrote on and what I kind of saw from a 3D game environment. And I actually used CryEngine at the time. I did one of my architectural projects in the CryEngine and people could walk around it. That's why I was so enthused. So that's, it's really, I'm quite pleasantly surprised that our conversations organically talked about these tools in a literal sense and that's why i want to draw from this is what i like is that we're on about design team meetings we're on about stuff that every architect in here experiences and and the point is it's not about being seduced by the technology the technology should be there for you right it's like we're not in revit or lumen just for the sake of it you are on about that you want to provide someone with a design decision that they can make quickly well, amongst other things, Stephen, what is the biggest problem about VR is that typically you've got no record of what you've done unless you record a video mm. to show as you went around. So the technology now, the same speed of the, of the graphics processor is starting to enable us to include AI. And right. there's, there's a, an application called fireflies.ai, which okay. is... A, a voice to text transcript application service that's that's being provided. Now, can you imagine you go along, you've got your mi microphone on, and you say, Joe, change the door on D7. Now, how did you know it was D7? Well, this is the part that that VR, so Twin Motion, that's one of the applications I'm using. Mm. Okay, Unreal Engine. I like Unity as its competitor. Mm. But what it's doing for you is it's actually bringing the BIM information into the screen. You can go and click on something and get the information related to it. So you're not just somewhere in space and, and dealing with something that is ethereal. It actually has a real value. And you can say to somebody, well, check element number 2,500. But what it is is that these things now are integrating the record of what you're doing, a log of what you're changing, and giving people the ability to go click and go to that place in the model. Mm. It, it, wow. It, it's fa Yeah, I, I agree. Let's say this, wow, I, I, I agree. And so what's interesting, I latch on in this subject because I find it really fascinating, the stuff that you're talking about in terms of 3D game engines using these tools to solve problems. And, and it's probably important to mention in terms of Revit and BIM, actually, there are so many different ways you can solve problems as well. So I have a friend called Thomas Mahone. He set up his own company called Bimorph, and he's very much in a different end, which kind of complements what we talk talking about in terms of custom programming, making all this stuff. I've I've spoken many times to David Flynn and Mark, you know, at Design Tech, which was from Grimshaw, and they've solved different complicated problems. And what I take away from this, and this might be a generalist viewpoint, and you tell me what you think as well, but 
whether it's a 3D game engine or whether it's writing a, a complicated script that in Python that you you roll it into the practice. And actually, the interesting thing about Revit and the interesting thing about BIM, then let's go talk about BIM, is that with all this stuff that we're talking about, without talking about fancy jargon it's solving problems it's getting it's making decisions quicker and that's what you're on about and it's about doing it in a way that everyone can collaborate everyone can make decisions together everyone can share information so that initially yes it's harder that if you never worked in bim to set up all this stuff the point is, though, the reason you're doing it is because the ideologies of it is the right way. It's built upon collaboration and sharing ideas. And what you're on about is that now technology is finally in a position to get there. And you have companies at the moment like um, Bymorph and um, David Flynn, this new company. I forget the name, but it's from Design Tag. I'll get that. And yourself and what you're doing with BIM Initiative. And it's about people sharing ideas and solve solutions so that architecture as a whole um, uses it where it's relevant to make decisions quicker. Right. So, so for me, the first part is that We've, we've got these incredible technologies. We've got mm. a bunch of young people who decide to do architecture for any number of reasons. Mm. Uh, for me, architecture is still the finest profession. I'm biased. Okay? <laughs> it's a good profession. I'm biased as well, but I agree. But w- what, the, what the biggest part about all these technologies, they enable us to make better decisions, informed decisions, because it's no longer just a a thing that's this size. It actually can be given quantities. But something that I think is really, really important, and this for, for younger people coming into the market, is I still have a piece of paper, and before somebody models something, I want them to draw it, where they have line weights to know what's cut, what's in projection. What is a waterproofing membrane? What is insulation? Where the cold bridge is? So they understand how these things are. Because to me, the architect was originally the master builder. Mm. He was the person who understood how these all got assembled. Now we are. We're working in highly complex buildings. We're dealing with all these different properties. And Grenfell Tower becomes one of those things about Mm. some of the contractual issues and, and how we do things and we do it badly. But one of those important parts about all those things we spoke about, the rendering, the visualization, et cetera, all is around physical properties. So like lighting levels, we need to understand that I've done a rendering myself. We ended up with a little LED light, a single LED light, and it was brighter than the biggest searchlight from World War II in London just because it had the wrong values. And if you could find that light, you've just found the source of energy, the eco guys will just be saying, wow, you've solved it. <laughs> and this is the problem is that we need to understand those properties. Those, those are part of our trade and the tools of our trade is knowing how big, how long, how thick, how wide the physical properties. And I think that these enabling parts that we've got with BIM, various of the applications, the authoring applications, and that's the part is we still have a problem with gluing them all together. This package won't talk to that one. This one does that. We've got open BIM. We, we, we've got a whole number of dynamics in our world. 
Mm. But there lies part of that that energy is that I use Revit and you use something else. I don't care, but let's find the way that we can actually glue these things together that when I hand something to you, you can pick it up and you may have to make some changes, but you know what changes to make. It's not smoke and mirrors. The more that we expose it to everybody, the whole industry is just going to benefit. And that comes back to what our early, early part of the discussion is. Mm. The more open we are with those discussions and agree to disagree, et cetera, and we don't have you know, a, a boxing session to resolve it, is rather go and buy another beer. A much easier way of resolving things. We can sit there and have a good chat. I think that's a really good uh, analogy for it. And and I think that's the thing that what I learned is because initially I almost felt many, many years ago that a BIM expert was entrenched in the software and that's what it's all about. But actually what I've learned is about what you're talking about is solving problems, it's collaboration, it's working out things. And what we it's the same as what, uh, I think in terms of a building where you rock up on site and you realize, holy moly, that's not what I expected to be there. And it can be like that and BIM of like, oh, my days, we're inheriting this model or, okay, we've got to issue it this way for this client or you've got all these crazy things going on. And, and to me, it's about it's not about it being perfect i think like a really good team uh, member is someone that basically deals with problems and helps people out and overcomes obstacles and and what we're talking about with bim and what i like about this whole topic is where you're talking about bim is yes you're advocating bim but what you're doing is you're advocating in the way of how it applies to an actual building how it can solve problems how people now can review and make design decisions because and i think you agree with me that bim is a fantastic tool it's not the end all you need an architect to have decisions to put in you need people to have agendas you need to do it but it is the fantastic way it's a fantastic methodology sorry i should say that revit's a tool bim's a methodology to go about amazing architectural practice and this is my opinion but it's about getting to the crux of it the whole concept of what you're talking about is how you can help people build projects better less stressful because actually a really optimized bim model a really optimized project that is seamless because bims help things out the models done really well it informs people it the quality of the team so people in terms of working there they work in less hours they're dealing with less problems problems are picked up earlier on and i love the analogy that we've used today on this podcast this episode that's talking about design teams because i think it's a really good example because it's not normally thought of like i think people think of bim as a work in progress but architectural visualization as the end result when you're selling a building and what you're talking about is visualization to visualize the current bim model now we're not talking about the super 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 graphics what i liked about the images that you posted and we retweeted though is that they were darn good considering the time involved and i love exploring that concept you're on about now of ratio to time 
versus results. And now we're because of the hardware where it's at, because of the gaming industry taking off and the and, and being massively profitable means that actually we're in a really good position where we have, in my opinion, and I and you tell me what you think as well, but like we have hardware available that can generate these images quickly to make these decisions, which can support the methodologies which like you said, BIM's been around since 1994. It is, it's not like it's been, you know, Revit 2014. It's been around for years. Just we're now in a way where it's, it's, it's articulating it. Right. So, so one of the first things we've spoken about the, the, the architect and the engineers and the, and the team that we put mm. together. There's one person that we've actually just left out of the picture a little bit. Oh, who's that? And that's the contractor. Okay. Sorry, contractor. Now, the, the problem behind this or the, the, the opportunity that exists here, we currently spend, and I don't like the term design build, just because that's part of my background. And design build was was something, and, and the term novation when I arrived here, was, was it just threw me. I said, no, no, but that's somebody got two caps, and they might not know which one they're actually wearing at the time. But principally, one of the things is early engagement of the contractor while doing the detailing could actually markedly reduce the amount of time and the rework that takes place of submitting a design hmm. and then the contractor unpicks it to make value engineering. Right. Now, but what this does, and it would make so much more sense to engage that contractor and he says, listen, I wouldn't do it like that. I'd do it like this. But what you've done is you've prepared something which gives you a performance and you've opened the discussion. And if you do that before you finish the detailing, then you're only doing it once. Mm. So that engagement, I think, typifies that the whole project team, actually including the person who's going to be delivering it, definitely benefit. But the additional speed that this computer now gives us, it's actually more like the renderings, and you said how quick that that visualization was put together, is the particular approach on, on Revit and SketchUp that I was using there is that Enscape is common to both those packages. So mm. I can go to SketchUp and I can go to Revit and I should be able to produce the, the same or very similar results by using the same rendering engine. Right. So what I've done in my practice <clears throat> is now to have Materials in SketchUp, which are not the same as materials in Revit. The one benefit we have in Revit is all the physical properties that go in there means that we can see that the physical properties that the engineer, the mechanical engineer, whoever would need, we don't get those with, with SketchUp. But by having a common library of images means that the renderings actually look very similar from two models using the same image base. So that part means I can do concept in SketchUp or format, but then it doesn't work with, and, and that's once again another dynamic of not having Enscape. In it. But what it does is we, we get the ability to very quickly generate those views and initiate discussion, mm. you know, even with the QS. So the QS comes along and says, oh, I wouldn't go and put Portland Stone in. It's just too expensive. Mm. But you've said to the client, look at what it looks like. And, and 
Now you've opened that discussion, so you can start throwing these things up. Yeah. Just make sure you're not standing under the block as it comes down, of course. But let's get the I love that. Let's get let's get the Portland thrown in. I want that conversation. I absolutely love it. And um I think this has been a really interesting conversation in that way. What I think, though, is because I love, you've seen so many things over the years. And what I'm conscious of is that now we've been talking for an hour. And what I think, no, hey, I, hey, no, that's not a negative. That's me saying, right, I could talk to you for hours. I'm just thinking maybe what would be awesome and depends how you feel about it, Pierre. I'm springing this on you on the spot. But maybe what we can do is return and have a chat maybe in a month or month two, whenever we feel that you've got, you've got something you want to discuss because actually what I think what today has been, has been a really good conversation in terms of an introduction to BIM and our, our chat has organically talked about making decisions in architectural practice. And, and me, I've been gushing upon the kind of the stuff that I've talked about years ago. And it's really interesting to get an industry expert like yourself, who's kind of on board. So perhaps what we can do is return and have a little chat we can have a little glass of wine on the friday night like we are doing now and we can have a little we can set the worlds to right in the interim <laughs> in the interim after COVID. <laughs> oh okay well well let's have a lot of conversations during covid because i don't think this situation is going to end soon and we can we can keep catching up well, well if anyone has not met you so far, Pierre, where, where can we find you? You're on LinkedIn. You're on the Architecture Social. Do you want to let us know where you're at, your websites? Yeah. So um, get hold of me on any of those. Um, I'm engaged in Arc Smarter, which is, okay. which is also on, on the, the same platform that you guys are on. The Mighty um, Networks, yeah. So you're Mighty on there. And in the prop, or the benefit of that is that all of, all of it is opening up and engaging whoever wants to ask a question. But we typically just don't have enough time for all of these things. So, mm. you know, make contact on, on LinkedIn or whatever, come with a question. They definitely will come out. How do we resolve things? How do we approach it? Because if you're a young person coming out into the market now, it, it's like going surfing in, in storm surf. It's very difficult to try and find your way around. And when you go down that wave, there's no stopping. I love we're that. on a new wave. It's true. It is completely new. It's new for me. It's new for you. And that's why we were talking a little bit before this, because it is, and I hate the term unprecedented times. Forget that. We're not going to say that, but um, it's completely, it, I find it, it's funny. It's, 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 it's very difficult for some people. And, you know, I find it in certain ways, it's very stressful right now. I know a lot of people do. No one is alone right now and that's the whole point that's why i've enjoyed our conversation it's nice to talk about these things because we will get there of course we will all get there and it's a really good time to learn it's a really good time to build connections it's a really good time to um uh, so i i talk about it briefly the architecture social it was something that i set up on furlough pierre because i wanted to initially talk with students about how to get a job and it's kind of taken a life on its own and i really think that that's why i'm so grateful that we can talk now and there's a few other vehicles to do it arc smarter fantastic community to talk about bim i've been on there anyone that's currently doing bim asks a question that is the place to go for i mean the arctic is social i do my own little thing like we joke about it and not joke about it like i'm having the glass of wine right now we're having a bit of fun we're having a you're 
having a glass, you're having like a coffee or what have you. Yeah, next time we're gonna have a glass of wine. I'll it, let you it, know beforehand. It might I, be 45. It might be a little bit 45. <laughs> All right, spirit. It's Friday evening, guys. So I don't want to hear any of it. It's been a tough week and it's a stressful time. But that's the point. We all do our different things, there's loads of different ways. And LinkedIn, yes, it serves a complete purpose. I'm on LinkedIn, really, really powerful. But if you want a community aspect, ArcSmart sounds really good for BIM. I've been on that. I think that's great. And anyone is welcome on the architecture social in terms of just, you know, if you're involved in architecture and who knows, right? But yeah, with the brief changes in the day today, we can talk about anything. You can talk about BIM. You can talk about anything. You can you can find us there. Let's talk about your briefly before we end. Let's talk about the BIM initiative. I think it'd be really good to share it with people if you want to give a description of what you've been up to. Right. So... I've I've had a number of jobs that we've we've gone through in in the time that I've been in the UK since I returned from the Middle East, mm-hmm. um, and it's been very interesting. Eventually, got to a point where, because of doing contract work, I found that it was necessary to establish a company. So I did the traditional thing, put the name in there, and it was far too staid. And it, it's been something that's germinated. So it got to a point where now. BIM initiative is exactly that. I think it it's that the term BIM, everybody's starting to say, well, maybe we need to get rid of BIM. It, it's a oh, term really? that's too similar to Revit. It's too analogous to Revit. Hmm. And we should change it. But if we're just changing for change's sake, the problem is that we put ourselves in a real quandary. On the other side, initiative is the part that I think we have so many opportunities for initiative. And we're seeing that. I think some of the some of the engagements we're seeing are enormous. So I've been engaged. There's been some pretty much an indecent amount of drying up of work. People putting mm-hmm. things on hold. It's it's direct product of the market. But on the other hand, we've we've had a couple of really interesting ones. The the, the media that you saw is mm. a company in South Africa that does wine cellars, bespoke wine cellars. And uh, it's not just doing the renderings for them, but in fact, we're looking at the process behind documentation because they actually do bespoke furniture. And somebody gets on a website, places an order, and we're looking at the, at the process of how do we get from clicking on that almost like IKEA, push on it and buying a shopping list, the mm. cutting list, the finishes list, pricing, all these things, all within using BIM and the process. And it means that people can then look at what they're getting. But what's what's been the enabler is the development of that process. On the other hand, I've got a friend who is currently in South Africa. He lives in the Maldives. He's a quantity surveyor. Went to school together. That was so long ago that... In South Africa, they talk about the Rinderpest. So that's it. It was that long ago that the Rinderpest was there. That was a, a a period of illness in the country. But what happens is that Mark is there. His wife is in down in St. Francis Bay. They've got a house. I took the headset, and between Mark, myself, and a model that I'd made up of the existing residents, we went through and looked at the potential for the changes. And that was a, a great test bed to see how this works over those time zones. Mm. And so I think I think that that and the engagements I've had with, with people right now, uh, 
particularly some guys involved in doing conservation work. And, and I strongly believe that, you know, the, the little thing of the tablet, yeah. how our world is going to change by bringing digital to the construction site and all of the phases up to that. That's where I'm engaging with people now about that. Also on the same thing, I'm, I'm busy looking at uh, doing Dynamo courses for some clients. So Great. that's preparation for that. And the Dynamo is, is simply, it's another enabler. There are guys out there who I'll stand back and say are absolutely brilliant. And I'll use Gavin Crump, Aussie BIM guru. Gavin is, a, is, a, is absolutely brilliant. And what, what it is is that we need to draw on those strengths of those people because they have a better capacity than some of us do for doing certain things. I can move the four-inch paintbrush around. Notice four-inch, not 100 millimeters. But <laughs> the part there is that collectively we have all of those things. So that's part of what I'm, I'm doing is, is, in fact, surrounding myself with people that have those additional capacities and can then push the kind of benefit that the client will get out of it because we're putting the right people at the right place in the right time. I love it. Look, look, um, Pierre, you've been, I've met you many, many years ago and I've always, um, my opinion of you mentally is someone who's generous, someone that helps and someone that's engaged in conversation, wants to constantly improve upon your own vision a bit and impart wisdom on others. So look, I really uh, thank you for this podcast i've really enjoyed it i hope you've had a good little giggle too you know you know it's, it's like it's me and you it's basically me and you talking i've loved it and the, the the nice thing is that that we get to um impart our wisdom on the world hello spotify thank you so much and uh i really appreciate it so thank you pm so you have a lovely weekend and we will speak soon i really appreciate you so much as long as it's not cold tomorrow, then that's fine. Then I'm <laughs> I cannot make that promise. Thank <laughs> you, Pierre. Have a good evening. Good one, Stephen. Thanks. Thanks.